Welcome to Open Minds Radio with Alejandro Rojas. Open Minds Radio is your UFO news authority, presenting evidence and the latest news regarding the UFO phenomenon. Here's your host, Alejandro Rojas. Hello! I'm going to do that, try to do these long hellos. Well, that'd be like 15 seconds of hello, probably longer. Kind of like, go! Because that's so exciting. Hello, hello, it's Alejandro Rojas, and you're listening to Open Minds Radio, your UFO news authority. I am so happy to be speaking with you all again because we have what I like about our listeners is they are intelligent, they're open minded, they are good looking. I mean, this is a, a very handsome group of individuals, and they're just very nice and kind and just some really excellent people. So I'm always so happy to be speaking to such wonderful people each week, and thank you for joining us once again to Open Minds Radio. I want to remind you of, you know, if you want to meet some of these incredible people that I'm talking about, a lot of them come to the desert. They did last year, and I think they'll do it again. Well, they've been coming to the desert for years, over nearly two decades now. And what I'm talking about is the UFO Congress. Yes, once again, it's the UFO Congress, February 22nd to the 26th, 2012, at the Fort McDowell Resort and Casino in Fountain Hills, swanky Fountain Hills, Arizona, over 20 speakers, and just lots of fun, lots of, you get to meet people, you know, what's great about this too is we spend so much time with each other, you know, over these four days that the speakers and the people coming, you know, it's kind of like, it's like the conference, it's the place where people can come together and network and talk and really get to spend some time together, and uh, they have time to sit around in the evenings and talk about UFOs and talk about their theories and everything going on. So it's a lot of fun. So you really want to call early. And just like last year, you guys know, those of you who booked early, how wise it was of you to heed my words. Because a lot of you who didn't and you booked late had to stay in hotels that weren't in the main spot. So go ahead and book now for the International... UFO Congress, and you can go to just ufocongress.com to check that out. And uh, we're going to have a lot of great speakers and everything. Don't worry, though, because really, I know some people felt this was inconvenient, but others didn't mind. If you don't get in the main hotel, which is at a discount and really fancy and really nice, there are other hotels that are close that people uh, stay in, and these hotels have shuttles for free that come to the main hotel. So it's not that big of a deal, plus it's in Fountain Hills, right around the corner, really pretty area, and then you're near more restaurants and stuff like that. But uh, regardless, the earlier the book, you better, because we had uh, just a lot of people there last year, and so uh, the earlier the book you book, the, the nicer the spot you get. And just to remind you, some of the speakers that we have, you know, really, I don't know of uh, this kind of group of 
A-lister UFO people, you know, have all been together in one spot before, and that's Whitley Strieber, Colin Andrews, Stephen Greer. All of these are people who have, you know, been our pioneers in the field. Whitley Strieber and his case really brought forward abductions to the general public. Colin Andrews was one of the first and main crop circle researchers. He brought crop circles to the to the front. Uh, Stephen Greer, with all of the witnesses he gathered, the military incredible witnesses. He was the first to do a conference at the the Washington Press Club that got a lot of publicity uh, and was a big deal. So all of these are pioneers. Ben Hansen now, who's part of the Factor Fake Television Show, which is doing better and better all the time. Uh, Clifford Cliff, of course, the head of MUFON. Avon Smith, who's an abduction researcher. Chuck Zukowski, going to be talking about cattle mutilations. We've had him on the show quite a bit and some really cool stuff. Lee Spiegel, who's kind of like the UFO reporter out there on the national scene with Huffington Post. Robert Pinotti, Italy's number one guy. Uh, Travis Walton and Jean Goulet, one of the witnesses with Travis Walton. Of course, Travis Walton, they made the movie Fire in the Sky about. Uh, so it's the first time Jean Goulet will be out to talk about this. Bruce McAbee, one of the premier scientists in the field. Randy Nickerson talking about an important John Mack case in Africa. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, one of the main paranormal researchers out there, and her subject is pretty cool. She's going to be talking about ETs, shadow people, and the jinn. You may know some of you who are familiar with uh, biblical writings. There's lots of writings about the jinn and King Solomon, who was supposedly able to manipulate the jinn. She'll be talking about those uh, myths in relation to UFOs and ETs. We've got Antonio Guneas. This guy's amazing. We've had him on the show. Writes for Open Minds Magazine. David Sarita going to be talking about 2012. Jaime Musan talking about 2012 in Mexico. Peter Robbins also into abductions. And Bryce Zabel. This is a guy who wrote AD After Disclosure with Richard Dolan. He also was the guy who really was uh, the force behind the, the TV show Dark Skies, which many of you probably remember. It dealt with MJ-12 and UFOs and all these conspiracies and JFK and Carl Sagan. Lots of cool stuff. So it's going to be these people, too, are really cool people for the most part. And so they're a lot of fun to hang out with. So you're definitely going to enjoy yourself. We'll have a lot of people there. Beautiful location, beautiful weather out here in Arizona. So UFOcongress.com. Go check it out, people. Also, part of the Congress is the film festival where people make UFO documentaries. They submit them to the film festival, and it's always been an esteemed honor to receive an EBE award, these coveted statues of an alien and a film projector where this time it's not a human filming the alien. The alien has his film projector and he's filming something. What they have filmed and whether aliens have ever filmed humans uh, with an old-style projector is unknown. But this statuette is, is displaying that scene. And it's a lot of fun and they're really cool. So go make a UFO documentary. Make an awesome one. That's great. That's, you know, very high production value because you guys have seen some of the ones that have been submitted. And they're really good. I mean, the production values that these guys are, are at, you know, you would see this kind of stuff on TV, just beautiful stuff, great music and everything. They submit this to the film festival and they win the awards 
And then they go off to uh, work with superstars in Hollywood. I don't know if that's happened, actually. It might have happened. But they're that much closer to doing so because they've won an international award, the EBE Award. So if you have a film that you've made, please submit that as soon as possible. The deadline is in mid-January. You want to get that into us as soon as possible because after then, you know, we may be able to extend the deadline. Maybe not. Um, sometimes we can, but at one point we just have to say, sorry, we can't accept any more. And we had some people upset with us last year when they just didn't make the deadline. And I'm so sorry, you people who didn't make the deadline. But we have to call it because we have to judge and organize and get everything going. So submit your movies, ufocongress.com. At openminds.tv, you're going to find a lot of UFO news, mostly written by a young man by the name of Jason McClellan. He's a stellar young feller, and he is actually here to share some news of the week with us. Jason, hello, are you there? Greetings, Alejandro. I am here. Oh, Jason, can I put you on? I'm sorry, put you on hold for just a sec. I haven't even told him who our guest is going to be tonight. After Jason's done talking about the news, we're going to have Tracy Austin, and she's awesome. Austin is awesome. She's a UFO and paranormal researcher. She's a host of the TV show. She's an author. She's had her own incredible experiences, and it's going to be a lot of fun. She's a very cool lady, and she's going to be speaking at the Women in UFO Symposium coming up in May in Texas that Jason and I talked about last week. And sorry to interrupt you, Jason. Go. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive this time. Excellent. Well, greetings, Alejandro, and hello, everyone. This is your Open Minds News Brief for Monday, December 19th, 2011. Well, the mysterious UFO known as the Dudley Dorito returned to the UK skies. According to the Express and Star, Gary Nock and his family witnessed the object fly directly over their heads near England's village of Hagley. The witness described the object as a, quote, black triangle with white lights at each end, end quote. The UFO reportedly flew at a low altitude and moved silently through the air. Nock believes the UFO could be an experimental military craft. And sightings of Dorito-shaped or corn chip-shaped UFOs have been occurring in the U.K. for years. Is that my cue to say something? You don't have to, but... <laughs> no, what I was going to say, what's funny is that it's only lately they've kind of put this Dorito label on because we've all known them as triangular craft, and they've been seen for decades, and they're triangular, and all of a sudden this Dorito thing stuck, which I'm sure lays potato chips. I think who owns Doritos probably loves that because they're getting some free publicity. But now, instead of thinking of mysterious triangular aircraft and it's probably has to do with marketing i get this cheesy taste in my mouth i do too yeah well and it's also fun to say dudley dorito you know dudley is the area where these things have been frequently seen right it's that nice d alliteration dudley but interesting dorito. yeah i mean all these sightings that they've had out there and of course uh these triangular craft are just extraordinary things and they get some interesting video, you know. I don't know if the video is genuine or not, but we see some pretty clear video of this triangle moving around, and they see it a lot. 
So interesting video on that, that Dudley Dorito has returned. And as you mentioned, it was pretty uh, more common earlier this year and certainly at the end of last year. There was a lot of sightings, and we've been a little silent on the Dudley Dorito, but that returned last week. Mm -hmm. In other news, uh, last week we talked about a story um, that involved a UFO that was seen hovering above a large crowd of 25,000 protesters in Moscow, Russia. The appearance and behavior of the craft suggested that it could, it could simply be a military police surveillance drone. And according to Vitaly Mativ of Russia Today, a drone is exactly what it was. Uh, Matviv is his name. And he was uh, in the mob of protesters, actually, and he saw the drone for himself. He explains, quote, Well, being among those tens of thousands of confused onlookers, the only kind of debate I can recall in regards to the object was whether it was the police monitoring the security situation on the scene of a mass protest through a drone camera or journalists taking aerial photographs for their reports. According to Matt Vive, the camera drone belongs to the Redis News Agency, an independent community of civilian journalists. The aerial shots taken by the drone can be viewed on Redis's website. And uh interesting thing about that that story, Alejandro, was um, when that came out that this drone belonged to Redis, that it was just a drone with a camera. Um, well, before that came out, just when the UFO over Moscow stories started coming out that were covered by everyone, um, there were a couple of sources using some of the photos taken by the drone. And I don't know where they got those photos, but in their story talking about this mysterious UFO, they had pictures that were aerial shots of the mob. That's so funny because, you know, I used those pictures when I reposted the story, mm -hmm. uh, and they were right there from Russia Today, and that's all they said they were from. A lot of people use these, and I think the Daily Mail, um, I can't remember. I think you're right. Yep. And what's so funny is even when I was posting the picture, I thought... I wonder if I thought this is probably a drone, and but at the time I was thinking, you know, so far we've never, I've never heard of media having drones, uh, so I was thinking it was probably a police drone. But I was thinking this picture would have had to have come from very near wherever this thing was in the air, and wouldn't it be interesting if the picture was taken from whatever they these people saw flying above them? Because, yeah, the picture's coming straight down, and it's so funny that, you know, that they show the video of this thing and, and then used pictures from it. And the fact that this reporter from Russia Today was in that mob of people and saw it for himself makes it pretty interesting. And, you know, the, yeah. the initial reports really hyped it up, saying how people were freaked out. They had no idea what it was. They were scrambling to climb trees to get yeah. a better look. And this guy said, um, no. That's not true. Yeah. Unfortunately. So that's interesting. They they overhyped it because it did look like a drone, but you had all the people freaking out. And it was a cool drone. I mean, it, it, Very it's cool. not, not one of the drones that we've seen before because, again, most of the drones we see are, are military or police. And this was just a, a, a smaller scale sort of uh, object with, I think, six um, rotors on it and uh, suspended beneath it was just a, a DSLR camera. Yeah. So it got some pretty cool aerial shots. Yeah, very cool drone, and very similar to the drone pictures that you and I independently found and put on, on 
the web. Correct. Very similar, except for with a camera hanging from it. And I was surprised when you see the pictures of the real thing, too, or the thing up close, how small it is. It looked a lot bigger in the video than it was in real life. And I think that's an interesting uh, uh, illusion to keep in mind when looking at, you know, possible UFO pictures. Yeah, and some of the video that came out with that story was very blurry, and you couldn't make that the definition mm-hmm. of the drone itself. So, But interesting. In other news, on December 10th, a man in Claremont, Ontario, in Canada, saw a strange glowing UFO in the sky. According to James Fikes, the witness, at approximately 7 p.m., he felt an unexplainable urge to go outside with his camera. He looked up at the full moon and noticed a large sphere-shaped object in the sky with the moon that was emitting a pale glow. Fikes described, quote, I have no idea how big it was because I have no way of knowing how far away it was, but it seemed to be almost rotating around the moon. Fikes took a few pictures of the mysterious object, adjusting exposure and shutter speeds with each shot in an attempt to capture the best possible image of the UFO. One of the photos supports his description that the UFO was moving. Using a show, uh, slow shutter speed, Fike snapped a photo that shows the strange object blurred. That indicates motion, and this kind of blur is common in night photography, especially when the camera is handheld, because the slightest movement causes the camera, uh, or the slightest movement of the camera causes any light to blur in the photo. And however, this is not the case in this particular photo, because the UFO itself appears blurred, but the moon does not. This indicates that the object was moving while the camera was stationary. It's common for mysterious objects to appear in photos taken in low-light environments, and the cause is usually light reflections or lens flare. But Fikes knows that that is not the case with his photos. He used a lens that reduces vibrations, and as I just explained, only the object is blurred, not the moon. Mm -hmm. And his strongest argument against lens flare reflection is the simple fact that he observed the object with his naked eyes in the sky above him. Hmm. And it, in in these cases, Alejandro, we we more times than not, we we hear about these things. These people who have these photos with crazy, strange things in them, and they didn't notice those things when they were taking the picture. Right. And that's a good, strong indicator of lens flare or something happening with the camera and, and the light. But in this case, he claims to have seen the object. Right. And um, did he send this to you? Yes, he sent it to Open Minds. Yeah, that's so interesting because, like you said, the second picture, there is a blur that looks like a movement. The first picture really looks like the moon. I mean, it even looks like you can see some of the craters on the moon and stuff. Yes, it's blue, but you're right. It does look like sort of the surface of the moon kind of reflected onto this blue. So, but if you're to take this guy's testimony as real, of course, it would be even stronger with other witnesses. Right. Then it's not the moon because he's right. He saw it with his eyes, which, of course, you're not going to see a lens flare flying around the moon with your right. eyes unless he was, like, spinning around on a on some sort of uh, carnival ride. But uh, so that is really interesting. I mean, if he's if he's being honest, that he's got something weird here. Right. Yep, the photos with his testimony do make them very interesting. Yeah. All right, in other news, people in Kansas were shocked last week when they saw what looked like a flying saucer being transported on the back of a military truck. The craft was wrapped in plastic and was reportedly 32 feet wide, 
taking up all four lanes of traffic. It turns out that the craft was actually that unmanned military craft we've talked about before on the show, mm-hmm. known as the X-47B. The military was transporting the craft from California to Maryland. And we've mentioned before, Alejandro, how sort of saucer-like this craft does look from certain angles in the sky, but it particularly looks like a flying saucer or a saucer when it's wrapped up in this plastic on the back of a truck. Yeah, it's kind of funny because it, 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 it's supposed to be, and it was being taken from one facility to another, an aerospace facility to another. Um, it's funny that they would do that, you know, in the middle of the day and stuff, and, and obviously it caused a bit of a fervor. But uh, it's kind of it's fun pictures to see this thing. I mean, it's an incredible looking thing. I guess they figure since Iran has one and they're putting pictures up all over the place, it's okay to just drive them around. Drive them around. Yeah, this thing is weird though. It's, it's definitely saucer like, and mm-hmm. supposedly putting in these on aircrafts, and they're going to be unmanned weapons. Yeah, very interesting craft. Yep. All right, well, in Hollywood news, Hollywood remains flooded with extraterrestrial-themed movies. Darkest Hour, an upcoming alien invasion flick, is currently being heavily promoted on U.S. television. And there's a considerable buzz regarding the third installment of the popular Men in Black movies that will be released in May 2012. But Ridley Scott's upcoming movie, Prometheus, is perhaps the most anticipated of the extraterrestrial-related films being released in the near future. Most of the film's details have been kept under tight wraps. The film was originally planned as a prequel to the Alien movie franchise, but the screenplay was reworked into an entirely different movie, but will still somehow be related to Alien, even if only slightly. Last month, Scott revealed that Prometheus is partly inspired by the writings of Swiss author Eric von Daniken, but key information about the movie has been hard to come by. The website io9 provides the briefest of plot outlines, stating a team of explorers discover a clue to the origins of mankind on Earth, leading them to a journey to the darkest corners of the universe. There, they must fight a terrifying battle to save the future of the human race. And today, the first footage from the upcoming film was released. The small clip serves as a teaser trailer for the official movie trailer releasing on December 22nd. And yes, you heard me correctly. That is an advertisement for an advertisement. As if the buzz that has already been created about this movie wasn't an indication enough, this push to market the upcoming release of a movie trailer could be a sign of the substantial marketing push coming in the near future to promote this movie. And Prometheus is scheduled to be released in June 2012. I mean, it better be good with all this hype. I mean, the, and the pictures make the pictures are so awesome that the pictures alone are just so cool that I think that's what gets people excited. But obviously, we're excited because this is like probably at least the third, maybe fourth month in a row that we've talked about, or a week right. in a row we've talked about the show. But yep, um, They've been secretive, but yet they're leaking out information intentionally, and now they're advertising an advertisement. Yeah, I think it's going to get crazy. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I I did an update on my story at ufodailynews.com mm-hmm. uh, from an Im- interview he did with Filmophilia. Uh-huh. And he, again, I mean, he really, and they even put in quotes, Editor's note, here's where he really takes off. And uh, he really gets into the Van Daniken thing and just about how probable. He talks about NASA and the church saying it's okay to believe in ETs. And, uh, you know, he's asking who assisted us, you know, who made the decisions to make us a a bigger civilization and, and all of this stuff. So he's really into this whole 
ancient astronauts thing, and he's yeah. which is great. He's not letting go, and it's smart marketing wise because I think people like that aspect added to it. But it also seems to be a passion of his. Yeah, it seems like it. Well, Alejandro, one more thing before I go. You did a story on Huffington Post about uh, some video footage that you were sent a while ago about a UFO in Las Vegas. Would you mind giving me a summary of that? Yeah, I wanted to ask, talk to you a little bit about it, too, because I know you've seen the video. We talked about it probably a couple of years ago. Yeah. We put it up and talked about it. And uh, I just decided to put it up on a YouTube and kind of in in full glory and big and everything for people to look at because we've never had and I've never had I've shown it to a lot of people and I've never had anybody say oh I know what that is and tell me what it is and as listeners can tell on the show me and Jason are always looking for for prosaic answers to these UFO videos because more often than not just as always been in this field they are you know the Russian things turned out to be a drone just like we thought but what's great is sometimes these things are totally unexplainable. And I have not had anybody really get to explain what this is. One guy said maybe a blimp. But a blimp, you know, this thing kind of does this looping action where it flies down, goes back up, and flies or flies around. That kind of shows it's not a blimp. Someone else said maybe remote control. But it, this thing is up in the air for a long time, I think like 20 minutes. Remote control, well, this is 2008 when it was taken. Remote control planes, at least the toy ones, only last a few minutes. So it's still an unknown. I don't know what this thing is, and I'm hoping you listeners, please go look at this video. Go to the Huffington Post, um, the UFO over Las Vegas, or if you're on my Twitter for UFO Daily News or Paranormal Reporter, you'll see it. But uh, I and we'll still, also have it in the headlines on OpenMinds.tv tomorrow, most likely. Cool. Yeah, I'm going to put it at UFO Daily News probably tonight also. Uh, but, yeah, I, I want to know what this thing is. And if nobody can tell me what it is, I'm excited because it means it might be a real unknown, you know? That's still an exciting video to me because it still has me stumped. You know, and I, I, I admit that before I watched that video, when you told me about it, I already had, you know, a few ideas in my mind what it could be, you know, especially because the, the roller coaster's right there, and you, you have this mm -hmm. light that's looping around, and the roller coaster's looping around, and you think, oh, okay, those are going to be connected, but this thing is completely independent, it's away from the roller coaster, it does its own thing. Yeah. So I'm just asking people, please go take a look and let me know if, if you know what it is. Yeah, for sure. I love that video. And thank you for bringing it up again, Alejandro. I, I enjoy watching that one. Great. All right, well, that is it for the news. Remember to check out all these stories and so many more at OpenMinds.tv, your source for UFO-related news. I'm Jason McClellan, your Open Minds news correspondent, and you've been briefed. Back to you, Alejandro. All right, thank you, Jason. Well, we have an exciting interview. Like I mentioned, it's Tracy Austin, uh, who's going to actually emcee the Women in Ufology Conference coming up in May. She is from England, so she has this wonderful and beautiful accent. Um, so she's a lot of fun to talk to. So let's go ahead and hear from Tracy. Okay, I am very happy to have UFO and paranormal researcher and author and television host Tracy Austin on the show. Hello, Tracy. Hi, Alejandro. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, we're both out in the desert. So are you getting chilly with these, these 60 degrees that we've been having? 
Oh my gosh, it is too cold. I have to tell you, <laughs> I have a hot water bottle I have to have with me. That's so funny. It's funny because I, I moved to Arizona from Colorado just a couple of years ago. So it's still really funny to me that, you know, 50s and 60s are, are considered cold. Because, of course, back home and when I go there next weekend, you know, it'll be zero or, or, or in the teens. Right. Well, it's the same in the UK. You know, I mean, they've got snow there right now. So these temperatures are too reminiscent of home for me. <laughs> I don't like it. Right. So that's kind of where I wanted to start actually talking about home because you have an interesting past. And uh, getting back to where this all began for you, and it appears that that was when you used to live in uh, England. Mm-hmm. That's right. So you started teaching school and uh, piano and stuff like that, and then had your own sighting. Is that how you got into to this uh, UFOs and paranormal? Yeah, actually, I was a student at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama right in the heart of London. And um, I trained as a concert pianist, so it was uh, very intense training for me. It was around about seven hours a day that I would uh, practice my instrument. And uh, my best friend, who was a guitarist, she was a classical and uh, uh, rock guitarist, was also studying at the same school. And we were staying at a YMCA and uh, just talking one day in the room and, and looking out through the window and happened to see a very unusual craft that caught my attention. And I had no idea what this thing was. And I turned to my friend, Paul, and I said, what the bloody hell is that? <laughs> you know, as you do. And because uh, this thing was, was so unusual, it was like a cone-shaped object, pointed at the top, round at the bottom, a little bit like what we would call in England a dunce's hat, or maybe a witch's hat. Okay. okay. Just to give you a little visual on that. And um, I turned to him and I said, what the, what the bloody hell is that? And he said to me, it's a UFO. <laughs> I, I said, well, what do you mean? So he told me what it was. And I said, so you mean this thing is piloted by beings from somewhere else or some other dimension and he said exactly he sounds like he was very matter of fact about the whole thing he was very matter of fact alejandro he'd uh he'd been uh, a member of mufon for many years as a youngster he'd seen things himself i mean he later recalled a story of catching angel hair in a matchbox uh wow. with him and his friends so he knew what he was talking about and what we were dealing with here. So I said, huh, so we would just watch this thing, you know, move across the sky. It was totally silent. It was rotating as it was moving across the sky. And it was um, gray, semi-transparent in color. You could almost see through it, but you couldn't. That kind of effect. And we watched it just go out of view. The very next day, because I couldn't shut up about it that night. I was telling everybody that we encountered that night about it, you know. And we were coming out of an underground train station in the middle of London. And there was a guy selling newspapers. Um, it was called the Evening Standard News. Right by the entrance. And there on the front page of the newspaper was a picture of this object. Wow. And an article that other people had seen it over the city of London. So um, I knew it was real 
what we had seen. So that's really where it all kind of began for me. It took me on a completely different path. And it's almost as if it said to me, no, you're not going to go down this path of being a musician that you think you are. You're going to go down this path here and you're going to find out all about who we are and what we do. That's interesting. And what's what's interesting about your story, too, is a lot of people, you hear that from witnesses sometimes. They have a sighting, and they think it's incredible. And so they watch the news, and they read the paper, expecting, you know, it'll be a big deal. And they typically don't see their sighting in the paper, and they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, other people had to see this. But yours was different. You, Yours was in the paper. Exactly. And, you know, it was round about, I can't remember the exact time or mm-hmm. the day, um, but it was round about two o'clock in the afternoon. There was some small cloud coverage, but not a lot. I mean, it was pretty much blue sky. Um, so it was very easy to detect this this um, craft sitting up there. Right. So it was just mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. Cool. Now, when you had the sighting prior to this sighting, did you really give much of a thought to UFOs or the paranormal at all? Well, you know, I'd always had an inkling when I was little, when I was young, around about uh, seven or so. Um, My parents had bought me a book for Christmas. I I believe it was called Myths and Monsters. And so I'd always kind of been open and interested in the otherworldly realm, but never really thought too much about aliens. Mm -hmm. And... um, I remember hanging out with some friends of mine when I was 14 uh, down at the local club. You know, um, our parents were there, and it was a thing we did every Saturday night, you know, and our families would get together at the local club. And um, I'm hanging outside with some friends of mine, and, and just before I arrived, two of the young boys were 14, my age, said to me, we've just seen a UFO, and it was right there. So I look up to where they're pointing and thinking, Hmm. Well, they, they're just kidding. They're just pulling my leg. You know, they're just teasing. But thinking back on it, it was um, they were pretty serious. And I lost touch with those those guys I used to go to school with. And only recently did I manage to reach him on Facebook. And one of the first things I brought up was this sighting. And uh, Dave, his name is, said to me, "Yeah, I remember that sighting." Oh yeah, he said it was uh, it was a disc. It was right there in the sky, but by the time you arrived, it had left. So he remembered it. So and he, yeah, they were very serious about it then. Very serious, very serious about it. It was me that wasn't really too serious about mm-hmm. it. Um, like I said, the book gave me some interest uh, in that kind of genre, but aliens, I didn't really give too much attention to it, to be honest. Right. So so uh-huh. changed. So somehow uh, the a, a documentary producer found out that you had had this sighting and you became sort of part of a, a documentary, a television show on that sighting? Yeah, actually that was a different sighting. Oh, that, okay. Wow. Yeah, that, that one was not while I was in London. This was while I, I when I got back from London and I was uh, teaching my instrument and um I decided to, it was a beautiful Saturday afternoon, and I decided that I was going to 
drive to, actually it wasn't a Saturday, it was a Tuesday, um, I decided I was going to drive to a local wooded area to read my book and just park the car and the woods were called Handchurch and they're very, very well known um, in the area. And um, I stopped off at the local store to take some things with me, you know, some goodies and uh, and stuff. And as I got out of the car, it was about say about two or three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, something told me to look up on the left-hand side of the vehicle. And as I got out of the car and closed the door, I looked up, and sure enough, there was a craft that was a boomerang-shaped object. And I stood froze on the spot, and I thought, what the hell? What is this? So I'm just watching this thing. It's moving in an anti-clockwise motion. And as it's moving around, it starts to change shape. And it starts to morph into a silver ball. And this silver ball, or this silver sphere, just ends up moving in the anti-clockwise motion, and then it transforms itself back into the boomerang. Very, very, very odd. And uh, at that point, I decided to grab someone else on the car park in front of the store to see if they could see what I was seeing. And I approached a lady who was taking her child out of the back seat of the car. And I said, excuse me, I, I hope you don't think I'm being silly, but can you see this in the sky here, this object? And she looked up and matter-of-factly said, uh, yeah, yeah, I can see it. I said, well, what do you think it is? And she said, hmm, don't really know. Yeah. Don't really know. And with that, just carried a child off into the store. Mm-hmm. And it really amazed me how somebody could be so nonchalant about what was right there in front of her. Right. So this object said to me, have a real good look at me because what you're seeing is real. All of a sudden, as it transforms itself back into the boomerang, out from the middle of it forms this appendage that makes the whole thing then become an arrowhead. And it's still moving in an anti-clockwise motion at this point. So I run across the car park again to a guy now who's getting out of his car. He was the owner of the local Chinese restaurant there. And I said exactly the same thing. You know, excuse me, I hope you don't think I'm being silly, but can you see this craft, this thing in the sky? And, and he says, yeah, I can see it. I said, well, what do you think it is? He said, hmm, uh, I think it's a hand glider. <laughs> and I said, Really? You think that's a hand glider? I said, well, where is the person on the hand glider that's dangling down below this? I said, and it's against the law to be to be having a hand glider over an upbuilt area with all these houses. Uh, and this thing was, was metallic. So there was no way it was a hand glider at all. Yeah. Well, BBC Digital became aware of this, of this particular sighting, and they contacted me and asked to do a reenactment. So they came up to where I lived, and we went through the whole thing of me getting out the car and looking up and seeing this very strange object. And um, it was tied into a series that they were doing called Over the Moon. And, um, yeah, lo and behold, um, later that same day, I headed, I never, well, I ended up going to the woods chasing this thing because I thought this was the area where it was going. 
But by the time I got there, this object never came over. So I just went home and I prepared myself to, you know, teach my student. And again, around about 30 minutes before my student showed up, the craft showed up again. And it did the same thing over a house that was adjacent to where I lived. And it was still moving this anti-clockwise motion and um, just left before my student arrived. Wow. I had told some friends of mine who actually ran a UFO group in the area. And they said they would, you know, check on anything that was going on in the local area. Well, it was later at the end of the week on the Saturday that I had a phone call from my friend who ran this group. And he said, I've had a very interesting call from a gentleman today who saw something on, on Friday. And he said, um, Gary, he said, I, I wanted to give you a call because I'm not interested in UFOs uh, whatsoever and um, don't really believe in them. He said, but now I believe in them because what I've seen over my house today is three boomerang objects flying in formation. Wow. So that was just a few days from my sighting that had transpired. So something was evidently going on in the area. And this gentleman lived around about, I'd say about nine miles from where my house was at the time. Mm -hmm. So something was very definitely going on. So this was a sighting. Okay, that first one was about the mid-80s, and then the second one was 10 years after that. Is that correct? Yeah, the uh, the cone-shaped object was in 1987. Okay. And then this boomerang actually happened round about uh, a month before I was set to do my first UFO conference in 96. Oh, wow. So round about a month before the conference, this thing showed up. Okay, so in between that period of time, you had started into your, I guess, research in, in UFOs and the paranormal? Yeah, it really started from that sighting in the middle of London, to be honest with you. Okay. I, I, I couldn't let the whole thing go, Alejandro. Mm -hmm. um, it just basically took over my life, as, you know, these things do. Right, and that's what's so interesting. You know, people like you have a sighting and it compels you to get into the field. And, you know, of course, I get really excited. People uh, investigating this stuff get excited. But so many people are out there that are like the the, one, the couple of people you had look at this object you saw, and they're so nonchalant, and they don't really care. Oh, it's probably this. It's probably that. I don't know. And mm -hmm. for me, and probably for you, it's it's difficult to understand why, you know, there's something weird up there. We can't explain. Why aren't you more excited about this? That's right. It, it never ceases to amaze me that people take that kind of attitude. I I don't know whether it's genuinely how they feel or whether the occupants in the craft themselves are saying, no, this sighting is for you. It's not for them. So we're going to make them kind of switch off. We're not going to have them, you know, raising an opinion about it. M maybe that's the case. I don't know. But um, it's uh, it's mind-boggling, to say the least. Right, right. And, yeah, maybe there's just, I don't know, something about some people just aren't that concerned, and they let other people like us worry about it. Yeah. Well, thank goodness they do, because... Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, if we were all like that in the world and ignoring these things, I mean, you know, we would be none the wiser to, to what was going on. Mm -hmm. So at what point then did you move to the United States? I moved to 
the United States in 2001. Okay. And I went to live in California um, to begin with and had some UFO sightings there as well. Um, some very uh, strange things. I, I lived very close to a canyon and I would have like triangle shaped um, shadows that would fly over the canyon. Wow. But when you'd look up, there'd be no craft. Very strange. That's very odd. And that happened on a couple of occasions, and they were triangular craft. Uh, again, no sound, no noise, as with all of the craft I've seen so far. None have had any noise whatsoever. Um, so that was very odd of this. that was just a shadow, but no physical craft. Um, and then uh, 2001, I actually had a sighting um, that was in Studio City. And I'm with my husband at the time, and uh, we're in the car, and we are waiting at the traffic lights to go home. We'd just been visiting a friend in Studio City and wanted to get home and uh, actually to watch Crossing Over with John Edward. <laughs> at the time, I was a big fan, and I, and I wanted to get to see the show. So we're waiting for the lights to change. And it seemed to take forever for these lights to change. Suddenly, he notices... Um, what he thinks is a plane in the sky. It's 6.45 p.m. at night, so it's not too dark. It's in the month of November, uh, November the 13th, to be exact, 2001. And he says to me, look at that plane. It looks like it's going to fall from the sky because it's moving too slow and too low. So I bend down, I look through the windscreen, and I just see two lights and hardly moving. And I'm thinking, how weird is that? What is that? So we're keeping transfixed on this craft. The lights never change, by the way, at this point. The traffic lights still remain on red. And suddenly, two lights become three. And I said, this isn't a plane. We have to pull on this gas station here, and we have to wait for this object to come over to find out what it really is. So we pulled out on the gas station. Um, right by CBS Studios, actually, on Radford Street. If any of your your listeners are listening to this show and, and uh, understand where Radford Street is, they'll know the proximity of where I'm talking about. I think there's a bank building on the corner, and then you have CBS Studios. Well, we pulled up on the car park on this gas station, and this object came over. And Alejandro, I, I cannot tell you, I, it was just the, the most, amazing thing I've ever seen and witnessed in my life. This thing became the diamond shape. Wow. From the three lights that we initially saw, it was a diamond shape. It was triangle at the front, and it was boat-tailed at the back. And it was black in color. And so what we did is we put the windows down on the vehicle. This thing was 200 feet above our car. And I can honestly tell you, had I had something in my hand uh, and had a good enough aim, something heavy and had a good enough aim, I could have hit this thing. It was that low. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just sort of above the, slightly higher than the tree level. Um, I think it was just above the 12-story bank building on the corner. That's where we gave it reference of, you know, how it wasn't so high. And we got the windows down. We're hanging out of the windows, looking up at the understructure of this craft. 
most amazing thing, it had coal white lights running underneath it in the shape of a V. And it had an outer framework around the craft um, where you could see the sky through the, from what separated the craft to the framework. So um, we watched it. We didn't stay that long. It honestly stayed for about eight to ten seconds. And then it did this amazing turn that I often say even Steven Spielberg would have a hard time recreating this in his movies, you know, how it moved. And it moved off. Uh, didn't even bank. It just had this amazing gliding turn, a little bit like butter melting in a pan, in a hot pan, you know. Uh, just so smooth and unreal. And magical is, is the word that comes to mind. And it went off over CBS Studios. Wow. So I said, quick, we've got to follow this. So we turned the, the car back on and we get on back onto the road and we try to follow this as best as we can. Again, we're up against red traffic lights, so we're stopping every few seconds. And we eventually lose this over the LA River. So I said, well, we have to get, go back to the guard shack. We have to ask them if they saw something because it flew over their building. So we turn around, we go back to the guard shack. And um, I knock on the door and I say, excuse me, um, have you just seen something very unusual fly over your building? So she says to me, the guard, well, what do you mean by unusual? And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've got to say it. <laughs> so I said, uh, you just had a UFO fly over your building because it was just over our car and then it flew off over your building. And she says, oh, my goodness. She pulls me into the little guard shack. She shoves a pen and a piece of paper in my hand and she asks me to draw this thing. So I'm drawing this thing and as I'm sketching it out, um, she said, there's no way we could have seen this through our windows here because our windows are anti-reflective, so all we see is ourselves. Plus, she said, if you notice on our property, it's all trees. So we, we don't get a view of the sky, so to speak. We're just covered in trees. So um, at that point, another guard came over to us and asked what all the commotion was about. And um, I explained what we'd just seen. And he said, you know, I believe you. He said, I used to be a pilot in Missouri, and we used to chase these things uh, over the mountains. Um, he says, but they weren't the same kind of craft that you've just seen. These were great big orange balls of wow. light. He said, and they would be forever playing a game of cat and mouse with us, and we would chase them over the mountain range. They would go back around the mountain range and just wait for us. They'd wait for us to, to get back around the mountain range, and then we'd start the process all over again. Wow, incredible. Yeah, so he said, so I, I believe what you're saying, what you're saying you've just seen. And it wasn't until, I thought, you know, somebody else has to be seeing this. We can't be the only people. It wasn't until a year later that I'm actually purchasing UFO magazine um, on a little magazine stand that's just there in Studio City. And as I'm picking it up, I tell the guy, as I'm giving him my money, you see that building right there? I had a UFO sighting over that building last year. And um, and it was this diamond-shaped craft. And he said, you know, I heard something about that, that someone else had seen hmm. that. And then I then met someone else who said that their husband had heard something on a radio show about the same craft over that particular building on Radford Street. So 
I guess we weren't the only people after all. It's great that you ask people because a lot of people, of course, are self-conscious. They think, you know, if I go ask the guard or someone who was around, uh, they might make fun of me. But it's wonderful when you do because just like in uh, this situation or both of these things you described, they took you very seriously and they were really interested. And, of course, you got this other interesting story. I think I'm too timid sometimes because when I do ask often, that's when you really find some amazing stories that people have out there. Oh, absolutely. And to be honest, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a communicator, Alejandro. It, it doesn't bother me. When something tests my whole reality, then I want to pull other people in because, um, first of all, I want to, you know, make sure that I'm seeing what I'm seeing, but also making them see what we're seeing and that, you know, it's, it's real. It's right there in front of our eyes and to make them aware of it. So I always do that. I always do that. I mean, your your job on your radio show is to make people aware of these things, um, as was mine when I did the you know the TV show. Right. So um, it's natural for me to do that. Yeah, it's always great when you have those witnesses that do that because sometimes you have uh, you know or often a witness will say I had this sighting and other people were stopped and other people had to have seen it. I know they saw it. Uh, but they didn't talk to them, whereas you have some great witnesses who do like you do, and they went and talked to the people. Sometimes they even get their name, and so you can talk to multiple witnesses because they're like, yeah, these other guys saw it. I talked to them. You know, I got their name and phone number. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's always a positive thing, and I guess just for the listeners out there, definitely talk to the people around you. I mean, worst case, and they look at you funny, oh, well, you know. But uh, <laughs> I think you'll find more often than not, surprisingly, people will – be very interested, they'll listen and maybe have seen the same thing you saw. Right. I mean, you've always got to be aware of your surroundings, you know, what's going on at the time you're seeing this thing. You know, uh, are there other people around? Are you the only person? Do you see any, any traffic that's coming by? Do you hear the birds? Always try and uh, take into consideration your environment, your surroundings, the temperature, uh, you know, what time. And, of course, it's always important because of missing time also to keep a check on that. Um, but, yeah, it's it's definitely, um, it changes your life for sure. It only takes one sighting and you're changed forever. Right. I'm a little jealous. Your sightings are great. Mine are more <laughs> kind of boring, but I've had some neat ones. But nothing like these sightings that you've had. These are really exciting. Yeah, and you know they've been more than more than not daylight sightings. Mm -hmm. um, that one that I was talking about, the diamond shape, that was only at six forty-five p.m. at night. So although it was a November month and it was it was dark, it wasn't too dark. That, um, like I said, you know you couldn't make out what this was. You could you could clearly see it against the sky. Um, I had also had. Uh, a telepathic communication from this thing that I didn't realize I'd had until I got home. And I had my husband draw it. Uh, we went in a completely separate room, and I said, okay, you draw what you saw, and I'll draw what I saw. And as I'm drawing it, the whole awareness of having the communication came to me. And it was basically saying that there was three of them on board the craft, um, we're just looking. Do not be afraid. We are just looking. Uh, 
And this was a male's voice that was saying this to me. And uh, that was a year later, after having that sighting, I started the show, Let's Talk Paranormal. It was actually in the month of November. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had a guest on my show, actually uh, Preston Dennett's sister-in-law, Christine, who is an artist. She's an exceptional artist. And uh, she finally tunes herself with people who've had experiences on board the craft and draws them to a T. I mean, she finally, you know, finally tunes in. So I have her as a guest on the show, and I put her on the spot. And, oh, they, by the way, they did tell me that they were from the star system, the Pleiades. But I didn't share any of this information with her. And I said on the show, you know, I had this sighting in Studio City, and it was a diamond-shaped craft. And can you draw who was on board? And lo and behold, she drew three beings that were on board the craft. Um, One was a a male, the other was a female, beautiful-looking people, blonde hair, blue eyes, and a seven-foot-tall kind of creature that almost resembled a gray, but wasn't quite like a gray, Mm -hmm. wearing some type of cloak. And there was some kind of um, little symbol on the jumpsuits that was a triangle symbol. And um, she, as far as I'm concerned, nailed it from what I was picking up from that telepathic communication. And the communication, so at the time you didn't realize you had the communication, but later when you reflected on your sighting, you recalled it? Right. Um, Yeah, I was, see, we we had no camera at the time. As Mm -hmm. these things happen, you never have a camera. Right. So you you transfixed on this thing, and you don't want to let this thing out of your sight, and your adrenaline's rushing, and you're not really thinking anything else. You're not open to anything else other than, mm-hmm. you know, being inquisitive and asking questions, and so nothing else comes in. Well, it wasn't until I got home that night, as I say, you know, I'm drawing this thing, and suddenly it opens up, and uh, that's what I had remembered. Wow. So she was very, very accurate in depicting that. That's very cool. And I want to get back on your more about your impressions on, on these visitors. But I did have this question also, since we're talking about your history. You started your paranormal work in England, and then you continued it here in the United States. Did you see a big difference between how uh, people felt about the phenomena out there than they do here? No, not to no to be honest, uh, mm-hmm. Alexandra. The, the the whole thing in England is um, when I first did my UFO conference in 1996, I was basically just testing the waters in in my home little town of Stoke-on-Trent in Staffordshire, just to test the waters to see what the interest was. And uh, I put on this conference, and at the time I had the late Graham Birdsall, uh, who was a speaker and Tony Dodd, who was an ex-police officer in England who'd had his own sighting as well while on duty. And uh, they spoke at the conference, and there were 250 seats in this little venue, and I managed to have 250 people there at the venue, sold out completely, and had to turn an additional couple hundred away. Wow. So it, it proves something to me that 
people, no matter where you are, are interested all over the world in this phenomena. And they're, they're hungry for the information. They want to know more. And it wasn't just, you know, full of people who had seen things and who were believers. They were also skeptical people, but, but wanted to know more. Mm-hmm. So that, that one was a success. And then we, uh, I did another one back in 1998, two years later. And again, complete success with that one, too. Yeah, that's great. It's interesting, too, to hear that there isn't much of a difference in perception out there to hear. Uh, what is your take? Because recently the uh, British media has really, in the last three years, and, and maybe because the military has been releasing files, but, man, the media out there has really um, taken this subject uh like crazy, there's stories all the time in British media. I mean, there is out here, but per capita, there's certainly more out there than there are here. Yeah, and I, I honestly, um, I don't really know why that is. Um, I know that you know it, it goes back to the time of Winston Churchill, who was interested to know of what these craft were. I think there's always been an interest there in good old England, you know, mm-hmm. um, and out in the countryside and the lonely places, the desolate places, people are encountering these things. And the conference really was a platform for these people locally to come to and share what experiences they'd had. Um, And there was one particular young lady who came to me who had had such experiences and actually had an implant in her jaw. that we were trying to have removed. Um, I write about her case in the new book I've just written um, called Alien Encounters in the Western United States. Um, Although this was back in England, that was just a portion of that back from England that I wanted to put in the book as a a part of the introduction to that. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's that's great. It's uh, also interesting that... um you know, when you came out here, or just to kind of hear how it was for you, it must have been fun to come back to L.A. and start doing this stuff, because there are a lot of good researchers and everything, and you started to get to uh, very quickly, and doing interviews is a great way to do it, start to meet a lot of the other researchers, or at least a lot of the researchers here in the U.S. that are doing this stuff. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of the people I'd actually met in the U.K. anyway, so it was almost... Oh, really? Yeah, it was almost like coming home from home to home. Um, Dr. Roger Lear, who's a good friend of mine, I've known him now for about 12 years. Um, he was right there in, in uh, L.A. Uh, so was Jose Escamilla with the whole Rod phenomena. Um, you know, Barbara Lamb uh, with the whole abduction thing was there in California also. So I've had friends that were already there and then... You know, I I decided that we needed some kind of a show to bring this phenomena uh, attention, to to, uh, educate people. And that's when I started Let's Talk Paranormal TV show in 2002 and um, had those guests on the show and others as well and had won three awards for the show's excellence. And then um, Universal Studios contacted me at one point when the movie White Noise was out Mm -hmm. 
and Michael Keaton was the actor in the movie and said, hey, would you have Michael Keaton on your show? And I thought, would I have Michael Keaton on my show? <laughs> uh, you don't really need to twist my arm with that one, you know? Right. So, so he was a great guest and, uh, yeah, although a little bit different from the alien UFO world, um, this was more along the lines of, you know, EVP, electronic voice phenomena and, and ghosts. But, um, it's been a blast and I really do want to get the show back up and running again. So I'm looking at various avenues to do that. Okay, great. Yeah. Did those shows, are they still around? I mean, I don't think the Michael Keaton thing, I think I saw, and I've seen some clips here and there, maybe on YouTube. Uh, and I remembered when that happened, that was very exciting, but, um, are there clips? Can people see some of the shows on YouTube? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, cool. If they go to um, if they go to my website, which is letstalkparanormal.com, dot com, we've got clips of all the past shows on there, so okay. you can easily see that. Cool. What were some of your favorite guests? Um, well, Doctor Leah, for one, um, with the, the alien implants. I mean, he's always so fascinating and such a a great speaker. He has a lot to say about his, his findings of removing those strange objects. Um, I would also have to say, oh, let me think, Dr. Louis Turi actually was a very uh, charismatic guest, um, the astrology guy. Um, I enjoyed uh, interviewing him. Also, um, another astrology person in Canada is named Jeffrey Armstrong, who deals with Vedic astrology. Because we didn't just do UFOs and ghosts. It was basically A to Z of the strange but true, mm-hmm. you know. So um, those um, stand out, those guests uh, come to mind. Um, there's so many, so many, to be honest with you. They were all great shows. I enjoyed every one of them. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun. Yeah, Barbara Lamb was another guest that came on the show. So uh, Preston Dennett mm-hmm. also. So, yeah, many, many great guests. So having talked to all of these researchers, uh, a lot of them have different opinions about the nature of whoever is visiting us, uh, who they are, where they come from. Uh, although not all of them have experiences like you where you you know, had a communication of some sort. What are your impressions? Um, my impressions are that they are what we presume they are. I really, really do believe that we are being visited and having interaction from beings from another world. And extraterrestrial, yes. Interdimensional, yes. Or or all of the above. Um, There's no real way of knowing for sure. Mm -hmm. But there's certainly not from here. Right. Um, So... um, yeah, there's no no question in my mind that they are what we are presuming them to be. Now, the encounter you had or the communication you had was fairly uh, positive. I mean, it was just they were even asking you, don't be afraid. You know, we're, we're just here to look. Uh, mm-hmm. However, of course, with Roger Lear's work having to do with implants and abductions, do you have a feeling as to whether, you know, these visitors are malevolent or or not well you know 
It's a very good question, Alejandro. And when you are looking at something like Dr. Roger Lear's work of implants being involved here and people being taken against their will, um, it does kind of put it in that category of malevolent. You know, they don't ask for your permission. They don't ask for you to say so. You just happen to be part of their project and you're going to go along with it, whether you really like to like it or not. Right. Um, one at one point on the show, I've had a gentleman named Ale Marzuli, who I think is great. I really respect Ale Marzuli. He brought up a point of him thinking that these beings um, were demonic. And I asked him why he thought they were demonic. And he said, well, you know, look at what they're doing. They're, they're taking people. They're implanting them without their say-so and their permission. And they all look the same like they're cloned. So it, it kind of made me think a little bit down that road at first, but uh, I tend to stick by what I feel, and that is that, no, they're not here to harm us. They just want us to be a part of a project that is very, very important to them. And they're not going to ask us because the likelihood of us complying would be nil. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it does raise the question of, well, where does God play in all of this, you know? But um, we're all part of one. So as it has been said, you know, in my uh, father's universe, there are many mansions, I think it is. Um, God created worlds, not just a world. So it's kind of trying to understand who they are, why they're here, how long this is going to go on for, and how much our governments really know and are prepared to tell us, which at this point, it seems very little from the United States government. Right, unfortunately. And bringing up that point, because I, you know, I, I kind of feel similar to you. I kind of, I like the answer like you gave earlier of all the above, because even with the the good guys or bad guys, it could be all the above, or it could be we just they're so advanced we can't understand, um, or if they even have the same idea of good or bad as we do. Right, There's right. So many questions. There are, and the more questions you ask, the less answers there are. So there are, there are right. definitely more, more questions than answers. I, you know, I used to, um, a couple of Thanksgivings ago, I had a friend whose father was a neurologist, and they invited, I think it was about 10 to 12 people at the time for a Thanksgiving dinner. I'd say this is about three years ago. And um, we got talking about neurology and, and his clients, and uh, my new book had come out at that time. Nothing about aliens, actually. It was about ghosts and haunted Las Vegas. And so he was asking me questions about the book. Well, one thing led to another, and I got talking about where my real passion lies, and that is with how it all got started for me with UFOs. So he says, you know, he says, I'll tell you this. I have two clients that are top-ranking people from Area 51. They didn't know that each other were clients of mine, he says. 
Uh, but they both came to me and told me what they did. One of them said to me, he says, um, his wife was terminally ill with cancer. He said, and they won't let me retire. And I so strongly want to just leave and retire so I can spend time, precious time with my wife. But because of what I'm involved with, they won't let me. He said, so I just don't give a damn anymore. Or words to those effects that he used. Um, I'm just going to tell it like it is. He says, and we are working with three to four foot tall gray alien beings underground. He says, and uh, they have the typical, you know, that you see, the black eyes, the little slit for a mouth, very small people, very thin. We're black engineering craft. He says, and they have an IQ of 300. And we're working with them. He says, and I don't care whether they murder me, shoot me, whatever they want to do. I'm telling it like it is. And that's what he conveyed to my neurologist friend. Wow. So he's out there at Area 51, a top-ranking person, and uh, just coming openly with what he knows. Yeah, well, hopefully he goes a little more public. It's, it's kind of interesting, too. You don't let me retire. I'm just going to tell everybody what I'm doing. That's right. Yeah, uh -huh. it's like, well, you know, if you want to play that game, I can uh -huh. play that game, too, you know. Okay. So we, we do need more people like that, for sure, mm -hmm. who um, want to tell it like it is and bring it to everyone's attention, you know, for, for the good. Right. So on this subject of governments and what they know, you know, the British government, of course, has been releasing uh, various files, and they're going to keep doing that, I think, up until for another year. What are your views on the release of these documents? Do you think, for instance, you, the, these programs going on in the United States, do you think the British are aware of those programs? Uh, do you think these files that they're releasing are genuinely everything they have? What do you think? Um, well, let's see here. I, I think that Britain do know to some degree of what is going on out here. I, they don't know everything, I, I'm, I'm presuming. They don't know everything. Um, I think that with America, the reason why they perhaps haven't come forward with releasing information is because they don't really know what they're dealing with mm -hmm. um, in some some cases, you know. Uh, let's face it, I think they've pushed themselves in a the corner for so long, denying the whole Roswell event. Um, that has been denied and denied over and over again, that these were just dummies that were used in some test. Uh, we all know that they weren't dummies. I mean, the people that, that wandered over the the open land there where the craft came down. Uh, we know that what they saw was small, diminutive in size beings that weren't from here. So they kept it so hidden and so secretive that they've pushed themselves in a corner now that I don't even know if they would ever come forward. I think if we're going to have some announcement, I think it's going to be from the science community. And let's face it, you know, it was only, um, when was it, several months ago that we heard that, I think it's the United Nations that had actually um, formed a position with a, uh, for a Chinese scientist, I just can't remember the name, but she was the one that was appointed to actually meet these beings when they officially landed. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if there's no belief in this, why do you appoint a position like that? Same in, in, in England with Nick Pope. 
I mean, he was he was head of the UFO desk for a few years. If there's nothing to all of this, surely people aren't going to waste taxpayers' money on setting up a desk to look at inquiries from what people are seeing and experiencing. So who knows who really is behind the scenes uh, pulling the strings on this to what can be released and what can't. Definitely the upper echelons of the government, probably the world banking systems no more. Um, who's, who's to say? I don't know. I really don't know. But Britain seems to be a little bit more open about it. And, you know, we had the whole Rendlesham Forest incident. Right. You know, Larry Warren is a friend of mine and openly talked about it. But uh, And then you have Colonel Holt, who is American that was there on British soil when that all happened and was a little bit quiet about it, well, quite quiet about it at the time it happened. And over the years, he began to say more and more and more uh, with, with what was going on. Um, so I just think that, you know, I wish the United States government would follow suit on other countries because it's time. We're coming up to 2012. How much longer have we got to go before something? I mean, give us something at least just just to even acknowledge that, yes, what you're seeing is real. You, you, you know, you aren't insane and people aren't making these stories up. Just something. You don't have to talk to us about full-blown black project governments. That's none of our business. Mm-hmm. That's none of our business. There's a reason why they are black project projects, you know, but at least um, give us some information. Just acknowledge that, yes, we are being visited. Right. And that's what's great. What's exciting about the Britain as opposed to the U.S. They continue to discuss. Uh, there's more information coming out all the time about, you know, even the royals and some of their interests. Prince Philip, who was very interested uh-huh. Uh, and like you mentioned, Nick Pope, who continues to talk about UFOs and his belief that there's something to it, even having officially looked into him for the Ministry of Defense. But on our side, you know, you, from the military or, or from the government, you just hear nothing. And I think it shows that the British are a little more um, – they're – they understand they're a little more in touch, whereas our government, or especially the military, just seems to be completely out of touch where they keep wanting to get more and more secretive. And these days, you know, on any subject, and I think the general public agrees that no matter what the military talks about, typically they're lying when they give it or they just are secretive and don't give us the information at all. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, the thing is, they can, you know, lie and cover this up for as long as they want, but more and more people are seeing things in the skies that they just cannot understand, and it defies everything that they know of what is reality here uh, right. for us. So um, I have a friend who, who wrote uh, a book on the Rendlesham Forest incident who interviewed Margaret Thatcher. Mm. Um, I think I think Margaret Thatcher actually wrote a forward to it and said, you can't tell the people. And um, I believe that's what she actually called the book. Right. What Margaret Thatcher had said. So we are a little bit more open there in England and we need to kind of follow suit. Right. So let's start to talk about some of the things you're up to now. 
one of the things you're up to is this uh, conference coming up in May. That sounds pretty exciting that uh, Paula Harris has put together uh, with uh, just women speakers, women in UFOs, which is great. I think it's an absolutely fantastic idea. And, um, you know, I think it's a, a great thing to be doing and bringing women speakers together who are highly respected in their field. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're not just we're not saying that this is just a conference for women. It's not. It's just that the panel happens to be all women speakers, which has never been done before. And it's an excellent idea. Uh, men and women are invited to the conference. And I think a lot of fascinating information is going to be shared. And um, to be asked personally to host it and and, and speak at it is a, a real honor. And I thank Paula for asking me to, to do that and be a part of it. And, of course, I had to. Um, mm-hmm. I could not say no, and I wouldn't have said no. You know, this is right up my street. So it's going to be exciting for sure and, and very groundbreaking. Yeah, I uh, I was excited to see that she had asked you to emcee it also. Because, of course, I was there in 2005. I think that's where we met at that MUFON. And I thought you did a great job. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was great. That was the first time I'd actually emceed at a conference. So um, I guess my experience there had to start somewhere. And i uh, very grateful for being asked to, to do that one also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So I thought you did a great job. I knew you would do a great job here. And uh, it's fun because, you know, a lot of these speakers at this UFO symposium are some real close friends of mine. So unless something uh, unforeseen happens, I'll definitely be there. And I'm really excited about the event. Yeah, that would be great to see you there. I hope that we're able to pack the place out and, uh, you know, educate people as this conference has been set out to do. Yep, so that's in Glen Rose, Texas, and people can read about that on the front page of TracyAustin.com. Absolutely. All they need to do, to do is just go to the, the homepage there of the website. They could even just go to Let'sTalkParanormal.com, and, and it's all there, the information, right on the homepage. Can't miss it. Another thing on the homepage is your book, Haunted Las Vegas, which looks really exciting, and I have... Maybe we had it at work. I've looked through a copy, but I couldn't find one. I thought I had it. Maybe I don't. But um, I know I've looked at it, which and it's a lot of fun. And uh, so I'm going to order another one because I can't find mine. Oh. But, uh, you know, speaking about hauntings and everything, now that you're in Las Vegas and you're getting into that, and, you know, I certainly, if people read my Huffington Post, I write on ghosts and stuff also because I love the whole paranormal-ass field. And really, it I don't know if this was similar for you, once I opened myself up to the idea and I saw the credibility in uh, the UFO field that we just didn't see in the media, I also discovered that that was the case for other phenomena out there and there was some legitimate stuff out there uh, which propelled me into the, all of the areas. But there are similarities. Do you see a lot of similarities even between ghost hunting and, and UFOs and, and all of these areas of the paranormal? I do, to be honest. I think there's a connection to everything, to be honest, uh, Alejandro. I don't think anything is really separate at all. Um, And, you know, that sighting of the craft in 87, that year also I saw my very first ghost, funnily enough. 
Really? Yeah. And again, with the same best friend I was with when we had the, the sighting of the craft. And this was a headless female, um, which was very, very strange because um, we had a friend who did hypnosis as a side interest. And he invited us to um, one of his little, you know, he was going to do a little evening's hypnosis session with a, a friend of ours. And we went into a room at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, a uh, huge room. It had a grand piano. It had a harpsichord. There were no windows. Uh, it had long velvet curtains from the ceiling to the floor to mute the sound. And uh, a row of, um, a wall of mirror, complete mirror, with a row of chairs in front of it and rows of chairs around the other sides of the wall. And there was just the four of us there that night. And my friend and I, sat on, on one of the seats watching what was going on. Gary was hypnotizing Howard and was taking him back to childhood and um, was going through that whole process of taking him under, you know, putting him under. Mm -hmm. And um, something caught my attention by the mirror. And you know when you do that double take, that double look, my gosh, I did that double take, mm -hmm. that double look. And there was a woman... Um, she was, again, semi-transparent, almost see-through, but couldn't, and sitting, watching what was going on. She was very slim. She had the most beautiful, gorgeous, slender legs that are to die for, you know, and, and that's what really struck me about this woman. She was clasping her hands over her knees and dressed in modern-day clothing. She wore uh, black high heel shoes. She had a black skirt on. Uh, she had a white top and a black belt around her waist. But she faded from the shoulders upwards. You could not see her head mm. whatsoever. Wow. And the weird thing about it was she had no reflection in the mirror. So my heart at this point is pounding mm. out of my chest because I'd never seen a ghost before. That was the first and only time to date. And um, I so wanted to nudge my, my best friend and talk to him and say, hey, oh, my gosh, you know, look at what's over there. But I didn't because of what was going on in the middle of the room. And so 9 o'clock, the caretaker came around to lock up the school. And uh, we decided to bring Howard out of his hypnosis. And we went to the pub, as students do then, you know, back then, and perhaps still do today. And... Uh, you know, Carl was the first one, my best friend, to say to me, did anybody see anything in there? So I looked at him, he looked at me, and we both said, a woman by the mirror at the same time. So he'd seen it too. Wow. But uh, neither of us said anything during the whole process of the hypnosis. We just kept quiet. Wow. So, so yeah, that was really uh, an eye-opener. It really was. And whether it was an ex-student or an ex-professor, I really don't know, but uh, certainly modern-day clothing. And, you know, just getting back to Welcome to Haunted Las Vegas, Nevada, the book, I had some very mm -hmm. strange goings-on writing that book. Really? I, yeah, I would have candles that would light themselves in my house. Wow. Even when I was out of the house, I came home to a lit candle, mm -hmm. which freaked me out because... You know, the spirit world just cannot go lighting candles when I'm not home. Right. I have, I have it's pets. It's dangerous. 
know, very dangerous. So I gave that spirit a good talking to. <laughs> good. I wonder if they're just coming over and looking over your shoulder. I wonder if I'm going to make it into the book. <laughs> well, you know, I, I didn't actually write about those particular incidents because by the time uh, I'd, I'd done the book, you know, it was pretty much done. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it was a very very strange thing, very strange thing. My my cat, I have two cats. My male cat, because uh, you know animals are very very sensitive, they're very open, intuitive. Uh, would see things standing on my staircase wow. and do that particular kind of low to the ground crawl that cats do. That's how I knew something was in here. So again, you know, I just spoke to it and I said thanks for visiting, but you really need to leave. This is my house, and you need to leave. Yep. So um, it did, and you know, I, I often sage and cleanse my house. So so far, so good. Good. And then finally, uh, I wanted to talk about. Uh, we're pretty much running out of time, but if you could talk a little bit about this new book project you said you're working on. Yeah, it's been real exciting, actually. I was asked by Schiffer if I'd like to do something regarding alien encounters and um, I've had something on my mind that I wanted to do so the idea came together and um, at the moment it's called alien encounters in the western United States and uh, these are encounters of real people in the western United States Uh, California Utah Las Vegas Colorado that have had real encounters with alien beings and um, we have a little section in the book that Dr. Roger Lear has kindly added in regards to the alien implants, because some of these people who I've written about in the book had the implants removed by Dr. Lear. So, um, and, and a couple that didn't want them removed either. We still have mm-hmm. them to this day. So there's a little bit of a mixture in there. Uh, but I think people are going to enjoy reading it and finding out what's going on. After all, you know, the latest poll says that uh, 4 million Americans have had abduction experiences, not taking into consideration worldwide, which is probably more at 11 million, I would think. So there's something definitely going on um, that's affecting us here and interacting with us in a very big, serious way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, when, I'm sure when that book comes out, They'll be able to find that at uh, TracyAustin.com? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'll be actually putting that book on there like the other one. And um, people can see that. All sure. right. Great. Well, is there anything else new going on that we should mention? Um, right now, no. It's just mainly the uh, conference that we're going to get ready for May and uh, the new book coming out. Trying my hardest to get Let's Talk Paranormal TV show back up and running. We have a lot of people that want to see it again. and uh, mm-hmm. So hopefully this next year will be the year. Yeah. Are you worried that uh, we won't be here in 2013? <laughs> Not at all. Good. Yeah, me either. <laughs> we'll be here for sure. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to me again. It was great to have you on the show. And uh, we'll have to catch up at a later date. Absolutely. And listen, have a happy holidays uh, to you and your listeners. Thank you. You too. And thank you for making time during this busy holiday period of time. Not a problem. Thank you for asking me. It's been absolutely great. Hope we can do it again when the new book is out. Yes, definitely. Okay, awesome. 
All right. Thank you, Tracy. And we'll definitely have her back when her book comes out. That sounds fascinating. And I'm sure she'll have a lot to talk about uh, in that. So really excited. One thing we didn't get to talk about was Tom DeLonge being on Coast to Coast last night. He's uh, the singer for Blink-182. And why is that exciting? Because Jason and I are always talking about his website, Strange Times, that has a lot of weird news and paranormal stuff. And he's always you know, posting uh, open mind stuff and my uh, my Huffington Post stuff, and, and he's tweeting us, and we're tweeting them. So we really want to talk to this guy, and we're very excited that our good buddy George Knapp, uh, who was the guest host on Coast to Coast last night, was able to talk to him. But Jason's going to be writing more about Tom DeLonge and, and what he had said on the Coast to Coast and uh, that kind of stuff and celebrities and UFOs and lots of cool stuff. So keep an eye out for Jason's. Story on that. In a couple of weeks, we will have some authors uh, on a new book coming out, most likely. And two weeks, we're going to take a week off from from today off because that's the day after Christmas, and we'll all be traveling. I'll be flying back from Colorado, and uh, but we will be here on the second uh, for the first show of the new year. Hope to hear you then. Thank you for listening to Open Minds Radio. We'll talk to you soon. And you guys take it easy.